0: Help if I actually brought up my story figured out that what to do with it. Apparently, Outlander is a new. The season, there's a season coming up on Netflix soon.
1: Yeah, but the new one got delayed. I'm behind on the um TV show, I have to catch up on that. Yeah, that's what my email that I just got was. Ah, nice times. Season four. Mm, there you go.
0: I have not watched it, I don't know why they keep telling me about it.
1: You watched it, you started it. I did, so you only now.
0: got like Three, uh, four
1: episodes into it. No, I got to the wedding. Yes, that's it. Yes, that was a rough day for Elise because I was sitting in a meeting as you're texting me a play-by-play of the sex scene from him. I'm like, oh god, damn it, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So I was losing my shit in a meeting. I was just like, this has to stop. I cannot be a professional while this is happening. <laughs> Put this. <to laughs> yep. All set. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And we're back. Woohoo! Yay! So we went and we had food. It was very good. It was. Thought we could get delivery in this village just a little bit before 8 o'clock p.m. <laughs> Apparently that was asking too much. They Far too much. Don't even answer the phone at quarter to 8. <laughs> Although, I gotta say, I think we did a better job. Like, we Uh, had a salad
0: and a pizza and some garlic bread and cake. Yeah,
1: for much less than a single pizza from them. So, their loss. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, And we had salad just to make us feel better. Yes. everything else we just ate. I, like, ripped through a thing of dips and chips (laughs) as we waited for the food to actually cook. But, yeah, that's all good. It's all good. (laughs) So, So. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? I started my PhD course. Woohoo! So I'm learning all about the philosophy of education.
0: <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> Lord, love the professor. He's a bit of a Peter Pan type. Hmm. Very young and idealistic. And I would have pegged him as early 30s. He's got a 15-year-old son. Hmm. So he's got to be at least mid-40s, if not... Well, he could still be. Not if he did a PhD. Oh, that's true. So... Like usually, you're having your family as you're wrapping up your PhD is the. Kind Unless of, he unfortunately did not know what contraception was as a teen, it would fit with the Peter Pan style of it all. <laughs> He's very delightful. He's a nice guy, bit of a out to lunch kind of person. And I'm technically doing this class on an extended lunch period, so a 20 minute content and a three hour lecture is driving me up the wall. Mm-hmm. It's like I have a report to do. I have to get back to the office. The longer you spend talking, the longer I have to stay at work on Monday night to make sure it's done for my boss for Tuesday morning. (laughs) Just to put that in perspective. (laughs) Talk faster. (laughs) So that's rough. And then I put my back out this week, which was fun. Which has happened before. Um, And it's not the stupidest way I put out my back. This time it was, I was adjusting my purse on my shoulder and my shoulder tendon just went, not today, bitch. (laughs) Don't forget uh, but the dumbest way I've ever done it was putting on my bra. <laughs>
0: That's bad. My dad once threw at his back reaching for salt. Oh, <laughs> that'll learn him.
1: Yeah. No salt for you. Ugh. Crack. So I went to see my uh, massage therapist who's become a friend as uh, she's treated me over. She's Started seeing her when we were together at uh, Bank Street, 999 yeah. Fifth yeah. Avenue. So almost 10 years now. And she's putting me through the range of motions. And she's like, have you been stressed lately? I'm like, no, I'm pretty good. I'm handling everything pretty well. She's like, okay. So I get on the table. It hurt on the back. She was working. Then I roll over and she's working my neck and she's running her knuckles up and down and she's popping over something. It feels like there's something really hard in there. And I'm like, what is that? She's like, well, that's your tendon. It's responsible for the shrugging motion. And for you to feel it and me to feel it at the state it is means that your shoulders have been up around your ears for the better part of the last two weeks. Yeah, just like sh- like holding on to the stress. I'm like, huh, that's weird. And so she's finishing up the massage. I'm getting, and she leaves. I get dressed. I come out of the treatment room and I look at her. I'm like, you know what? I think I am pretty stressed. I've got a lot on my plate. And she looks at me like I'm the dumbest person she's ever met. Because, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, sweetie. It's like, I'm glad you came to this realization, but I was here 90 clinical minutes ago <laughs> before I even put you on the table. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. So, yeah. So, now that I'm back to editing this, we've got to keep it tight. <laughs> I'll do one. I just don't have time this weekend. Oh, yeah. That's fine. I, I honestly don't mind doing it. It's just this week. is a disaster because I have that report. Yeah. I was supposed to have that assignment, which luckily Peter Pan delayed. He hasn't even put a new date on it yet. So, a couple of weeks. Dentist tomorrow. Tutoring tomorrow. Editing this tomorrow for will be last week's show when they hear this. And at some point I have to have time for tacos and weed. <laughs> we have our priorities, people. That is my Saturday. Saturday at 5.30, the tacos start cooking. By 6.30, I am baked. <laughs> and eating some tacos. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's what's new with me. I would like to get high tonight, but we're running pretty late and I gotta not be high when I drive to the dentist tomorrow in Orleans.
0: <laughs> well, it was lovely to have dinner and catch up. Yeah,
1: for sure. a few times I could get, like, kind
0: of swooped in and swooped out. and
1: Yeah. So this has been nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. That's not my story for today. <laughs> but on that note, we should probably dive into our stories. Yes. All right. You went last, so you go first. Yes. So I wanted something a little bit lighter after last week. Cause duh. Andy
0: brought that down. Yeah. We're
1: bopping around, having fun, and then Andy's like, death and destruction. <laughs> Thoughts? <laughs> Fuck.
0: Mass murder.
1: <laughs> so this topic has been on my to-do list for a while, and I'm not entirely sure why. I may have been high when I added it to the list or scrolling through Netflix, but probably both. Is this like naked lady with an owl head? No. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, it could be. So, yes, not entirely sure why. Scrolling through Netflix. So, this topic gave me some of the best and some of the worst memories of my childhood. It's a real mixed bag. So, we're talking Jim Henson, y'all. <laughs> That's what I was saying. So, social media for this week is going to be fun. Capital F U N fun. Love it. <laughs> So I think uh, Henson's work is, you. oh, if you don't know, if you've been living under a rock and you've never heard the word, the name, Jim Henson is responsible for the Muppets. Sesame Street. This, well, yeah, Sesame yeah. Street's the Muppets, a uh, bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. Yeah. But some of the kids out there might not recognize it. Who? So some of the kids. I don't know. You's. Sesame Street's still on. Yeah, but they wouldn't remember. They wouldn't clock the production slides at the end of the episodes. But even the Muppets have done movies yeah, lately. They, yeah, yes, you're right. But I'm just saying, Jim Henson might not be... I guess. You might... Shut up, I need to center this. People need okay, to know okay. what I'm talking about. <laughs> i all over my story. <laughs> We're not even, like, into the meat of it. Mandy's already like, well, actually... <laughs> So I think Henson's work is so ubiquitous in our consciousness that we kind of forget that it was all inspired by one man. Because it's everywhere. Like you said, like you start with Sesame Street and you go straight through to like Dark Crystal on Netflix. Like, And um, I think Jim Henson's studio
0: is responsible for an animated show called Esme and Roy. Probably. I have a list
1: of stuff that they're doing now, animated. As
0: me and Roy, monster sitters. I have watched this show so many times it's stuck in my head.
1: Again, very happy with my life choices at this moment. (laughs) So James Maury Henson was born September 24th, 1936, and was raised as a Christian scientist and stayed with the church until 1975, when he actually wrote a letter to tell them that he was out. Which, I mean, I didn't know we were supposed to do that when we lapse out of a organized religion. <laughs> so, I've got a letter to write. <laughs> Dear Pope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the defining moments of his life was when his family got their very first television set when he was a kid. He loved to watch ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, who, FYI, is Candace Bergen's father. He was a very famous ventriloquist. And other early television puppet shows. Hmm. Like the article i was reading about it listed several puppet shows so it was apparently a very big thing at the time very big he got a start as a puppeteer in high school when he worked for a local tv network making puppets for their saturday morning kids show very cute he enrolled in the university of maryland as a studio arts major but get this transferred to the college of home economics when he realized that they were the ones offering the craft and textile courses hmm so he graduated in 1960 with a degree in home ec, which we talked about in our weird professions. Yeah. And I never thought to link it to Master Puppeteer, but there we are. <laughs> well, in college, he created Sam and Friends, which was a five minute puppet show for a local TV network, which became the forerunner for the Muppets. And in fact, Kermit was kind of introduced on the show, but he underwent some changes between Sam and Friends and the ultimate green frog that we know now. Uh, Henson is probably best known as a puppeteer, and that's because he pioneered a lot of what is now known as central to puppet-based entertainment. And I never in my life thought I'd have to say the phrase puppet-based entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) So some of the things that he did that made him so famous and created this entertainment niche, he developed the camera technique of framing a shot to allow the puppeteer to remain out of the shot. So before that, you're always seeing them, either the ventriloquist with the dummy or off to yep. the side. Uh, he made his puppets from malleable fabric-covered foam to allow them to think more expressive. And before that, they were generally made of wood. So think of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, where it's like all wooden heads and yep. just a sock of fabric underneath. Rather than have limbs controlled by marionette strings from above, Henson's Muppet used small rods and were controlled from below. Uh, He ensured that mouth movements match the character's speech, which sounds obvious, but previously was just done randomly. Like when you're a kid playing with a sock as your puppet, you just open and close it. But he made sure that it was a lineup for consistency. And his goal was to have puppets that have, quote, life and sensitivity, which you cannot deny. Yes. When Gonzo sings to his chickens, there is so much passion and love in that.
0: (laughs) That's not where I was going with that. Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, okay. <laughs> he definitely does love those chickens. Uh, yeah, a little too much. Like, I'm all for diversity, but interspecies is a little weird.
0: <laughs> but then what do we think about Kermit and Miss Piggy?
1: Well, I have issues with that relationship because she's not a very nice person. No, she is not nice to him at all. Yeah, she's that's my issue with abusive. That <laughs> She is. <laughs> uh, so Sam and Friends, which was the show that uh, Henson started his kind of puppeteering reputation with was so popular that Henson did the late night circuit with them appearing on the Steve Allen show, the Jack Parr program and the Ed Sullivan show where he was erroneously introduced as Jim Newsom and his puppets (laughs) instead of Jim Henson and his Muppets. Ed Sullivan, maybe at the end of his career at that point. <laughs> Closer to the end than the beginning.
0: Although that does sound like something we would say as we're tr- true, reading true, through true. This, pro- yeah. this podcast.
1: It's like uh, what's-his-face An Adina Maddell.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. John Travolta. Yeah. <laughs> In all fairness, I love her and I still can't pronounce <laughs> her
1: name. I'm not even sure if I just did it right or if I... I don't think you did. The there you go. <laughs> so the climb to fame uh, for Henson and his puppets uh, started with Commercials for Wilkins Coffee, in which a Muppet named Wilkins is poised behind a cannon seen in profile. Another Muppet named Watkins is in front of the barrel. Wilkins asks, what do you think of Wilkins Coffee? And Watkins responds gruffly, never tasted it. Wilkins fires the cannon and blows Watkins away, then turns the cannon directly towards the viewer at the end of the ad and asks, now what do you think of Wilkins? Well, that is... Dark. Yes. <laughs> All told, the commercial was only seven seconds in length. However, it was such a hit that he refilmed it from multiple regional coffee companies across the U.S. And in the end, he ended up producing more than 300 coffee ads featuring his Muppets. Well, that's a niche. I know. Like I did not realize Muppets were like the main advertising stratagem for regional coffees in the <laughs> States at this time. But here we are. <laughs> Uh, in 1958, Muppets Inc. was founded, and within five years, Henson brought in Jerry Jull as a writer and Frank Oz as a puppeteer. And these three men, as a triumvirate, are responsible for the look, feel, and heart of Henson's Muppet empire. They... Um, Henson's name was on it, but he was never afraid to give the other two credit for their involvement. And he was a very big supporter of getting them opportunities in the industry, and that they got and took advantage of. So Frank Oz is actually a very, even I know that name outside yeah. the Henson universe. Everybody
0: should. Yeah. If for nothing else. Yeah. Yoda. Exactly. <laughs>
1: In 1969, a little program called Sesame Street premiered on public television. The show's creator, Joan Gantz Cooney, put together a proposal to government agencies to test the efficacy of television in providing early education to young children. The proposal was approved and Cooney was given 18 months and $8 million from various government departments for the project. Cooney was so impressed by Henson's puppet work at the time that she invited him to work for the show. So he had done the late night circuits, he did the coffee commercials, he was known for this work, and Cooney wanted him involved. Initially, the idea was that the humans and puppet segments would be separate to keep a sense of realism with the show, which was originally going to be presented as the internal monologue of a child. So, like, her real world is all the humans, the imaginary world is all the Muppets, so they would never kind of cross. Uh, As a result, the puppet segments were supposed to be bright and colorful, which is where we end up with the incredible color palette of the Muppets. It's within this context that Henson and his team team developed Kermit, Grover, Bert and Ernie, Cookie Monster, Oscar the Grouch, and Big Bird. Just the bestest things ever. Uh, The Muppets were supposed to be frames around which the live action happened and contributed to the commercial feel of the learning set pieces. So... The whole idea was the pieces you wanted the children to pick up and learn from were supposed to fit into the show and act like commercials. So that's why you okay. get the jingles for like the letter J. Yeah. Or like the letter of the day. Exactly. Day. <laughs> yes, you probably know are more up to Yes. With them. And originally they used to replay the commercials multiple times in one episode, just to like drive parents up the wall, I guess.
0: <laughs> well that's the that's a common tool, especially if you've Ever had to sit through? Thank God, my children. I did not let them. But Teletubbies, right? It's the same thing. Like Teletubbies is fifteen minutes, but it's really two five minute sets that just get played two or three times. Holy shit! Yeah. Oh my god. Because that's how kids learn is repetition. I know. But yes, um, I used to babysit. The kids really loved Barney and Teletubbies, and my children have never seen Barney or Teletubbies. Hey, Barney Bar- had a message and a like a through line. granted i don't think either of those things are really things anymore
1: i wouldn't know yeah
0: but i would not it'd be one of those things that's like one of those random things that mommy and daddy have banned and not because it's bad but just because like i would rather chew my own arm off than watch 27
1: hours this whole thing yeah uh where was i so the Muppets were supposed to be frames around the live action piece. Yes. Test audiences responded most to the bright Muppet learning set pieces and the songs, of course. And kids would tune out when the adults started talking. Again, of course. <laughs> and so the program was retooled to get away from this whole separation thing and to bring the two together. So yes, as a result, the fantasy was mixed with the reality and Big Bird and Oscar became permanent residents of the street. Of course, Sesame Street was and still is a big hit with kids. And Cooney and PBS have called Jim Henson, quote, the spark that ignited our fledgling broadcast service. So Sesame Street is big bucks and PBS gets a cut of that. <laughs> well, it's also the foundation to which PBS is
0: a lot of their kids' programming seven yes. run at as have run on. Yes. Like how many hours is Sesame Street on now? Uh, it's on like two or three times a day, but it's sort of that like premiere. So they show... I don't know what episode they're up to now. I don't know if like, you say. No. So the last time I remember recognizing, because they have, like, they say what episode number it is, mm-hmm. the start. It's to be in thousands, right? I think it was 4,952. And that was probably like two or three years ago. Right. Episode that was just play. Like, I can't... I can't follow which ones are new ones.
1: Right. Well, it's basically all the same,
0: but when you are not a toddler. <laughs> like, you could sometimes tell what year you're
1: in by what celebrity cameo you yes. get. And also they've been expanding. So now there's um, a Muppet girl with, I think, HIV at one point or AIDS was added. And there's a girl with autism and she's fairly new. Yeah. So and you can see the... Really- yeah. You can track tra- the... Tra- track the social development yeah. of our society which is interesting um but yes but like, it's an hour-long show half hour it's half hour oh i always remember I, I guess i always remembered it feeling longer i think they used to be but they're half hour hmm, all right uh <laughs> yes so uh, cooney and pbs like acknowledge the fact that he set them, Jim Henson sent them on their path, and Sesame Street also did really well paying Henson's bills at the time, so he no longer had to do commercials, which was what was keeping food on the table and a roof over his head for his family, and so the street allowed him to focus on other projects, so once it was really established, that's when he starts expanding his Muppet empire, which, by the way, Muppet empire sounds really fun. (laughs) I would love to live under a Muppet overlord.
0: (laughs) But also, like, they have Sesame Streets in so many, like, versions of Sesame
1: Street in so yes. many countries. Because they've licensed the shit out of it and pocketed the money for it. But, like, there is a, a Sesame Street in... Russia has one, I think.
0: Russia has one, but also Israel. And they have Muppets that are Israeli, Muppets that are... Pa- uh, Palestinian. Palestinian.
1: Wow. That interact with each other. They have... Yeah um researchers are constantly saying that the short commercial like blocks is detrimental to children development because it doesn't build um an attention span but there's just as many research studies if not more that come out and say maybe but the amount of learning that this show actually does for kids is astounding but so. it, but the
0: kids don't have like an attention span at four to watch yeah. like, most kids' shows are th- at most thirty minutes, but even in those thirty minutes, it's usually two stories. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just don't have oh. now. Granted, Liz can watch an entire Incredibles 2, generally, but she even she gets like
1: <laughs> squirrely halfway through it. Right? But- Show them our Looney Tunes. That's not an issue. Anyway, so. Um, Yes, Sesame Street was paying the bills, he no longer had to do his commercials, and he went off and he started doing other projects. And these projects were designed to break him out of that kids-only typecasting that Sesame Street had put him in. Muppets Inc. worked briefly with Saturday Night Live and put on several puppet-style skits during the show, but writers of SNL weren't a fan of working with the characters. One even said, quote, he didn't write for felt. Oh please! What a dummy! Like there are standout stars of SNL, but I think if you put like the entire like not quite ready for primetime players photo up against the Sesame Street photo, more people in the world are going to recognize the Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. And
0: let's face it, sometimes Sesame Street is funnier.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this is true. I laugh out loud sometimes <laughs> at Sesame Street. So this was the era that the Muppet Show started to come together. Uh, Rejected by U.S. networks uh, and later financed by and filmed in the U.K., The Muppet Show started in 1976, and it introduced the characters of Miss Piggy, Gonzo the Great, Fozzie Bear, the Swedish chef, Statler, Woldorf, and Animal, and, 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 and. The premise behind The Muppet Show is that The Muppets are putting on a weekly variety show at The Muppet Theatre under the direction of Kermit, but things never go quite as planned and the premise allowed the show to bring in some really big-name stars to participate as guests in the variety show. It's all very meta. <laughs> stars who appeared included Vincent Price, John Cleese, Alice Cooper, who sang School's Out, I'm assuming with Animal. How could yeah. you not? Uh, Gene Kelly, who gave Kermit dancing lessons, Linda Carter, Roger Moore, and Mark Hamill. Big, big names. Everyone yeah. wants to be part of the Muppets
0: well, yeah. But even you look at Sesame Street, same thing. It's yeah. just like whatever is topical. Like they had Terrence Howard. Yeah. Weird. Weird choice. Weird I think I like texted you. <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah. I saw that when I was like, you have got to look this up on YouTube. <laughs> it's like,
1: here's where we stop watching Sesame Street, kids. <laughs> that one was so strange. Yeah. Just had this weird vibe to it. Uh, so I briefly remember they rebooted The Muppet Show as like that variety thing in the 2000s. Early 2000s. They rebooted it more recently. Yeah, I was just going to say, I as remember a, the yes. one more recently. But. but there was another one in between that was more to the original version of it. Okay. It didn't last very long. Uh, and I didn't, didn't really connect at the time. But I remember Pierce Brosnan appeared as like their celebrity guest for the show. And his um, his special talent that he wanted to show off was that he could spit fire. And this is a party trick that Pierce Brosnan is actually known for.
0: Oh. Yeah. I kind of love Pierce Brosnan, (laughs) I'm not going to lie. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, But the production of the, like, the actual production, not the Muppet production, but the real production of the show uh, didn't give him the right kind of liquid for the trick. And there was basically a backdraft into his mouth when he, like, spat out the fire, uh, which burnt it up pretty badly. (laughs) from oh, what i heard. Yeah. It's on camera. They kept the take cuz they only wanted to do it once. And it's like you can yeah. like see it on YouTube. Uh but i have two words and that is worth it because you got to be on the muppets god damn it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All i know about the most recent one is that Miss Piggy had left Kermit and was shacked
1: up with Josh groban <laughs> Yes. It was like a half hour sitcom reboot. And I watched a few episodes, and like I got my kicks off of Fozzie Bear, because I love he reminds me of my dad. I love him so much. And I had been out with my dad driving through the countryside, and I said, ooh, because like human beings always enjoy cows. I was like, ooh, look, I heard of cows. And he's like, oh what? I'm like, heard of cows. He said, of course I've heard of cows. What do you think I am? Three weeks later, Fozzie Bear makes the exact same joke on the Muppet sitcom reboot. And I was like, this is it. This is why I love Fozzie Bear so much. He is my dad. My dad is Fozzie Bear. Uh, Dan's favorite thing to do while we're driving out of
0: country, especially uh, during hay season, is to go,
1: hey, and point, and When I look, he'll go, ha ha. Such a dad joke.
0: Isn't <laughs> <Yes>, it? Is. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. Pierce Brosnan, Spitfire, Burnmouth. Got it. So the show, the Muppet show itself... The, the, the old one, the original one, is a mix of onstage action and behind-the-scenes shenanigans that always bring the show to the edge of disaster, but they are always be able to put on a successful show. Now, while your personality comes from Dorothy on The Golden Girls, while I was prepping this episode, I realized my personality comes from The Muppets, and I'll tell you why. So, we have Kermit the Frog, who is always high anxiety, but is actually pretty capable. <laughs> That's like my basis neuroses and everything else gets built on top of that. Uh, Scooter's get-it-done attitude, Sam the Eagle's highbrow efforts that always fall a little bit short, and his eyebrows. I have those too, when I don't get them waxed regularly. (laughs) There's Miss Piggy's divaness, Fozzie Bear's bad jokes, uh, Gonzo's dumpster fire fireness, which I love. Also dumpster fire here. Uh, And then Animal's complete abandonment to what he actually loves. And I see bits and pieces of this in my personality, in my day-to-day life. And let's not forget the hacklers. Yes, Statler and Waldorf. That, like, is very Sophia Petrillo. So that, like, triumvirate right there is my sassy side. So I am the Muppets embodied, and you are Dorothy Spornak embodied. So that's where With we With a little bit of rose. a little bit of rose.
0: And a lot more blanche.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so as a sketch show, there were some consistent set pieces. So, um little vignettes between the back behind the scenes stuff. The one I remember most is Pigs in Space because it opens with Pigs in Space! Yes. the news? Yes. I'm getting there. Sorry. No, I don't think I added the news, but yes. Uh, So Pigs in Space is a Star Trek-like space opera where Miss Piggy and a Zach Brannigan-style captain are always on the verge of emotional disaster. So Zach Brannigan from um, Futurama I always, like, I'm watching him. I'm like, I've seen this character before. It is from Pigs in Space. <laughs> this over-the-top, really dramatic, Kirk-esque style space captain. Anyway. Uh, the Swedish Chef's Cooking Show, where things always look like they will be a disaster. But turn out fine. And my, every time I'm screwing up in the kitchen, I go, oh, burka, 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 burka. Yeah. And then uh, we have the Muppet Labs, where Dr. Bunsen Honeydew is constantly experimenting on his assistant, Beaker.
0: Oh, Poor Beaker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love Beaker. The Muppets were a hit, and within three years they had a feature film. Uh, that film was a critical and financial success, making $65.2 million in 1979. So it it actually ranked pretty low. I think it was around like 40th that year at the box office, but $62 million for like sock puppets. Like you're doing pretty good. Jim Henson, the rainbow connection from the movie, which is the original song hit number 25 on the billboard charts and was nominated for a frickin' Oscar (laughs) for best original song, which I think I'm pretty sure I remember Kermit singing at the Oscars. (laughs) Probably. Following in 1981, we have the great Muppet caper. Uh, And at that point, Henson decided to end The Muppet Show in order to focus on making films. And from there, we have The Muppets Take Manhattan in 1984. And since then, there have been a couple other Muppet movies. A lot of them have gone direct to video. You forgot the best one. Which one? The Muppet Family Christmas. Dude, it is my next line. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So Muppets Take Manhattan was kind of the end of like the... The run of just pure Muppet stuff. And then they started branching out. So we have the Muppet Christmas Carol. It's not the Muppet Family Christmas. It's Muppet Christmas Carol.
0: No, there's one called the Muppet Family Christmas. Oh, I don't remember that one at all. It has Sesame Street, the Muppets, and Fraggle Rock.
1: Oh. Was it direct-to-video or... No. You can't even get it anymore. Huh. Okay. Well, you've schooled me. (laughs) It is the best. No, no. A Christmas Carol is the best. No, no. I don't have to even see it. And I know the Christmas Carol is the best.
0: So they all go to Fozzie... Bear's mom's house in the country, which she has, because re- she's decided, because Fuzzy Bear wasn't coming home, Oh, so she's decided she is going on a vacation to go surfing in Maui. Okay. And she has rented her house to a lovely older man, uh-huh. who's Doc from Fraggle Rock, so an actual human. Okay. But... Fozzie feels bad, so he ends up bringing all of his Muppet friends to his mom's for Christmas. Okay. And so, on the front porch, she's always going, be careful of the icy patch as everybody wipes out. (laughs) Which is where Dan and I get, because his parents have this eaves that drips right by the front door and always creates (laughs) this icy patch, so I was going, be careful of the icy patch! Um... So, and the, so all the Muppets end up there, and then all of the Sesame Street characters end up there, and then Kermit and the little frog, his. Scooter. His nephew. Yeah, Scooter. Ends up meeting the Fraggle Rock. Okay. Because they have a passageway into Fozzie Bear's mom's house. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, everybody ends up there. They end up sleeping in hammocks because all of a sudden these, all these people show up. Um,. Miss Piggy is away in New York on a modeling. Okay. And a storm happens, and she doesn't think she's going to get there. So she ends up getting Mounties and a dog sled team, and comes in <laughs> in this like white fur outfit oh, with a of cape. Yeah. A dog singing
1: Christmas carols. Very cash.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it is the best. You can
1: find it on YouTube, Oh, but have you to look can't for buy it, it. anywhere. But I don't know, dude, because to me, the absolute best Christmas movie, one of them has to be The Muppet Christmas Carol, which is absolute gold. Uh, Michael Caine plays Scrooge. Yes. Kermit is Bob Cratchit, and the whole thing is narrated by Gonzo and Rizzo. Hands down my favorite Muppet movie, if for no other reason than Gonzo and Rizzo. (laughs) I could just watch those two, and they're dynamic together. Oh, the Swedish chef tries to cook Big Bird at one point because he's the biggest turkey he has ever seen. <laughs> oh, and the family one, yeah, the yeah. family one, nice. Uh, another of the Muppet movies that I remember from my childhood uh, is Muppet Treasure Island from nineteen ninety six. Remember that one at all? I but do. Nineteen ninety six, I would have been sixteen, so. so aging out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But- my dad, huge, huge Muppet fan. That was our thing. Sunday night after dinner, we would watch the Muppet Show together, and then Super Dave Osborne. So my dad's the one who introduced me to the Muppets. So every time they had a Muppet movie came out, like he had to. Oh yeah, it was more directed by him at first. <laughs> he once like fully admitted to me the only reason he had kids was to watch Looney Tunes and the Muppets without judgment. <laughs> I've seen every earnest. <laughs> movie oh yeah me too again my dad (laughs) it's a dad tendency i think uh so muppet treasure island from 1996 tim curry is long john silver i did not know uh some dude named kevin bishop who is a british tv star who i've never heard of anything he was in before or since plays jim hawkins Kermit was Captain Smollett. Fozzie was Squire Trelawney. And Gonzo and Rizzo, riding on their fame from the Christmas Carol, are back as Jim's wise cracking friends. They are not in the original story, of course, but they worked out so well in the Christmas Carol they had to come back for the follow-up. Oh, and Statler and Waldorf are on the prow of the ship instead of a beautiful mermaid lady. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So... That's where Jim Henson was spending a lot of his time in the late 70s, early 80s, through the 90s. But in 1992, he directed The Dark Crystal with Frank Oz. The goal was to move even more towards a realistic version of puppetry. They used conceptual art by Brian Frude, whose artwork was slash is a fantasy-based world, like, Once you see the look, you're like, oh, yeah. I I know this guy. I know that look. It's a consistent aesthetic. Uh, So they used his work to provide a contrast to the distinctive Henson-style puppets. Like, if you put the Fraggle Rock, the Kermits, you can pick them out. Versus the Dark Crystal puppets, where you're like, that could be anyone else type of thing. So pre-production on the Dark Crystal started in 1978. By 1979, Henson had bought a building to house what would eventually become his Creature Shop. Uh, So while it was founded for the Dark Crystal, it's still in operation today and provides a lot of prop work for the movie industry. And this is over in the UK. Production on the Dark Crystal began on April 15th, 1981, where the Mystic Valley, Dying Emperor and Crystal Chamber scenes were shot. Now, this was never my bag. I don't even think I've seen the Crystal, the Dark Crystal yet, but I assume that those things mean something to a fan.
0: Actually, what's funny? Hmm. So do we still like this? Yeah, well, Last week's episode was on the Dark Crystal.
1: Oh, there you go. So if you want to learn more about... <laughs> yes, instead of just me talking to you about what I found on the very intense fan page for the Dark Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> very intense. <laughs> uh, filming for the movie wrapped within five months, which surprised me for like a very technically complex can't just point it at a human and tell them what to do type of film. So five months seems short to me, but congratulations. Uh, once filming wrapped, the London Symphony Orchestra was brought in to do the score. So remember, because The Muppet Show was based in the UK at the time, production on this movie was primarily British. They filmed over there. The film premiered in December 1982 in New York. And as of this year, a sequel series called The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance can be streamed on Netflix. It's a Prequel. Prequel. As when I was a child, it looks too scary for me, so I don't think I'll be watching.
0: Again, listen to you. So Do so you We Still Like this? this? Yes. Episode on The Dark Crystal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next darkish project that Henson worked on was Labyrinth in 1986. And this is what I mean by I have some of the worst memories of my childhood come from Jim Henson. It is down to this movie. I think you've heard this TED Talk several times. My TED Talk on The Labyrinth.
0: Maybe. I've never seen either Dark Crystal or Labyrinth. <sighs> so, which I just hear is a lot of David, Joey's, David junk. Bowie's junk.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that movie emotionally scarred me as a child. I was five or six when I saw it, and we were staying the night at a friend's of my parents' house. So I was already sleeping in a weird space. I've always had sleep issues. It was really bad as a kid. And then they're like, oh, well, it's a Jim Henson movie, so it's for kids. So let's just watch Ali- let at least watch it while we're having drinks and playing cards and catching up in the basement of the stranger's home where she'll then have to sleep this happened like 30 years ago and you still, still talking about it the next morning we had blueberry pancakes and i still have issues with eating blueberry pancakes that's how bad it was so he this movie is the reason why i both love and hate jim henson though i do love him a little bit more than i hate him IMDb's plot summary of the movie is that 16-year-old Sarah, played by Jennifer Connelly, is given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue her baby brother Toby, paid by Toby Frude, who is now working on the Dark Crystal Netflix project. Oh, cool. Uh, when her wish for him to be taken away is granted by the goblin king, Jareth, played by David Bowie. in his junk. And his junk. So I think the source of my terror can be summed up by the following trivia pieces that I found on IMDb in the scene where toby the baby is seated on the goblin king's lap the baby has a fixed and hypnotized look off camera as jared mummers evilly into his ear so just picture that like Bowie with that hair
0: yeah i I, I know yeah
1: by the way i will send you a picture of that gif that i'm constantly sending to people of david bowie's junk like dancing with like the balls in his hand (laughs) and we'll post that to social media So (laughs) the story behind this hypnotized look that this kid has is that uh, he screamed so much during so many of the takes for the scene that something had to be done to keep him quiet. Fortunately, a crew member had a gloved puppet. And so during the duration of David Bowie's speech, he actually had that puppet on one hand just out of shot that was gently wiggling that Toby was so intently intently staring at that he was so entranced that there was a hypnotic stare and perfect silence. But, like, I didn't know that. I just saw a baby, like, being creeped the fuck out by, like, Goblin David Bowie. Like. (laughs) Another piece of trivia that also explains the terror. Over 100 pairs of latex hands were made for the helping hand scene. Hands. Just hands. I remember them coming out of the walls. No, thank you very much. (laughs) Another bit of trivia. Well,
0: I I would be more, I would be better with that than if they were feet.
1: True. You've got a weird thing about feet. I do. Yeah. Another bit of trivia. After solving the problems of the guards who lie or tell the truth, Sarah falls into an oubliette, which uh, Hoggle describes as, quote, it's a place where you put people to forget about them. Now, oubliettes were a real thing. They're a type of dungeon where only one, there was only one entry through the opening of a very high ceiling to leave an oubliette was practically impossible without external assistance and in fact the word oubliette comes from the french word oublier meaning to forget the basic premise was that an oubliette was a dungeon for prisoners that the captors wished to forget and they were often left to starve to death in them again deep dark pit not cool During the Escher room scenes, there is a sequence when Jareth's crystal ball seems to bounce up the stairs and into Toby's hand. This was accomplished by having Toby drop the ball and then reversing the shot. Now, why this stands out to me is that at age five or six, I would have no fucking clue who Escher was and what his paintings were. So I'm just seeing like stairways going up, down, left, right. It's not right. Uh, when Sarah Hoggle, Sir Didymus, and Ludo enter the Goblin City, several roaming animals can be seen, one of which is a crawly, a furry shellfish eaten by Skegus during the feast in Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal. So just the, the description of that. Yeah, that's not, 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 not cool. No, no. And finally, as much as I love him as a singer, David Bowie. Buddy was just creepy as hell in this movie. Especially the ballroom scene where a grown-ass man is, like, Evilly dancing with a teenage girl.
0: like So many creep factors. So
1: many creep factors. So many. And goblins. Just lots of goblins. Now, I like calling people goblins. It's a favorite addition to any insult that I give. But, like, it took me several years to be able to say that word.
0: Also, oh, this sounds like much... you Well, a little bit more of neuroses for you, but... Sorry. This sounds a lot like my experience with watching... Um, Return to Oz.
1: Mm. That fucked me up. I can still picture very disturbing things. I can't From wait till the- we find out what it is we screw up your kids with. you yeah.
0: can't wait. I don't know how I ended up watching Return to Oz either. I think I was older, but it was just like, have you seen it? I don't think so. The Queen can take her heads off. Ew. She has no head, so she has this like walking closet of just faces. Ew.
1: When do they film that? Oh, late 80s. Yeah. 80s, 80s, it sounds 80s. So, I, like, in my head, when you describe that, I pictured like, the 80s look of, like, creepy-ass movies. I'm not on board. And, like, they had, like, the,
0: instead of the winged
1: monkeys,
0: they were on roll, like, their hands were rollers, so they were rolling around, if I remember
1: correctly. Ugh. Yeah, I'm not, not okay. that. Not Okay. So Labyrinth, Uh, it was considered a commercial flop at the time, but it got great critical reviews and it's now a cult hit. Um, Henson, however, had had a career of successes up to that point, so he took the quasi-failure really hard, according to his sons. He wasn't sure he would bounce back from it. But I mean, cult hit. But also, it's a creepy-ass movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The last part of his career was a condensed version of the first half in that it was all over the map. He did projects like Fraggle Rock, uh, but, I was my still, favorite. I know, but I was still scared by Labyrinth at that point. And it's kind of like a Muppet slash Labyrinth crossover, but it still came off as too creepy for me as a child. And I could never I get into it. I love Fraggle Rock. I still do. Uh, they also did the Muppet Babies, which was a cartoon and a personal favorite of mine when I was a kid watching cartoons. Mm. Baby Ralph loved it. I also remember for a while you could get the Muppets yogurt. Like, when yogurt still came with, like, plastic lids instead of the foil pull-off. Oh, okay. So each, like, I think Fozzie Bear was banana, strawberry was Miss Piggy. Oh, okay. And, yeah. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. I loved the Muppets yogurt. It was my favorite part of grocery shopping with my mom. I always made her let me pick out what Muppet yogurts I wanted for the week.
0: (laughs) Dan's mom has a big tub of... Happy Meal toys, and there's a
1: huge chunk of them that are Muppet babies. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me, because they license those intellectual property rights out a lot. So so Fraggle Rock came along. Uh, He also did a show for older kids that looked like a folklore mythology called The Storyteller. I didn't. I vaguely remember that, yeah. I have no memory of it. I'm just going by what I saw online. Uh, he had one season of the Jim Henson Hour, which was a variety slash music slash Muppet show. It only lasted one season, and he blamed NBC because they were constantly moving it around the schedule, mm. and it just never got Come traction. On. But it did win an Emmy for Best Directing in a Variety series, I believe. Oh, cool. So there was some success with it. In 1989, Henson sold the Jim Henson Company to Disney for almost $150 million. (laughs) Uh, He wanted to spend less time on the business side of things and more time creating. So it made sense to sell it to the mouse. By 1990, so a year later, Disney had a Muppets attraction, which was Muppet Vision 3D, and which is fucking amazing fun. Have you ever been through? So it's a 20-minute show, and it's positioned in the park where you're... I've never been to Disney. Okay. So you get to a certain point of the day where you just can't walk anymore. And so they strategically place these sit-down theater-style shows that last 15 to 20 minutes. You get to go in. It's air-conditioned. You get to sit and do nothing. And it's it's lovely because it's a 20-minute wait. It's never that bad. So the way it works is you have a giant theater with rows of seats. You line up to get into those seats, as soon as the show's open, the doors on the right side open so you can file out. And the doors on the left side open so you can file in. So your base it's like yeah. constant. And this, you get uh, 3D glasses with it, which is what was amazing. And so what I remember most is scenes like um, Kermit busting through the brick wall in the 3D version. Oh, okay, yep. Statler and Wal- Waldorf are up in like, the side of the theater. Uh, there's also... Um, In front of every seat, there's a little um, spray gun of water. So when Fozzie Bear sprays his flower water, you get hit with it. There's a scene where Gonzo's chasing rats. And along with a little water squirt gun in the seats in front of you, underneath, they have little, like, plastic things that, like, swish back and forth. So it feels like rat tails are running along your feet. So they call it the 3D experience because it's, like, all immersive. And, like, it's one of my favorite memories of the park. That and the Bear Country Jamboree, which gets a lot of shit. But, like, again... You just want to sit down for 15 minutes in yeah. the air conditioned. <laughs> so if they ever close that, I am going to cry quite a bit. <laughs> uh, by all accounts, so that was his career. But by all accounts, Henson was a pretty good dude. People who knew him well likened him a lot to Kermit. So a shy, gentle boss with a backbone of steel. And Henson himself even recognized the link calling Kermit an alter ego, but insisting the frog was braver than he was and would say things that he holds back. <laughs> a contemporary life magazine article described him as running his shop like a quote explosion in a mattress factory i can imagine it would just be shit tons of fun to work oh yeah (laughs) can you imagine carol spinney who was the puppeteer for big bird and oscar the grouch said henson never said he didn't like something if he didn't he'd just go hmm and if he did he'd exclaim lovely such a positive attitude uh, he was asked by George Lucas to work on Yoda for the Star Wars film films, but instead Henson recommended Frank Oz be approached, and he was. And Oz is responsible for the look and sound of Yoda. So, in 1982, Henson founded the Jim Henson Foundation to quote promote and develop the art of puppetry in the United States. Since it's set up, the foundation has given out almost 1,000 grants to 350 American puppet artists to create and develop new work. They've put on festivals, and they collect puppeteering artwork and hold it in a museum style for posterity. Like, cool, I guess, but it's not where I'm throwing my charity dollars. No. So, I mean, when you sell your company for $150 million, you've got a couple extra shekels kicking around to throw out your passion projects. I think that's what this was. So, now we get to the sad bit. Uh, in May of 1990, Henson reported feeling tired and having a sore throat. He was too busy how working, however, and he tried to power through. On May 15th, his wife reported that he was coughing up blood and he was admitted into the ER in New York. X-rays showed that he had abscesses in his lungs as a result of a bacterial infection. Uh, he was placed on a ventilator but deteriorated quickly and died within 20 hours of being admitted to the hospital. So quick. The official cause of death was streptococcal toxic shock syndrome. Not just for tampons, apparently. Public memorial (laughs) services were held for him in New York and London. Uh, At those services, no one was allowed to wear black, and no one did. The services were packed with music. A A brass band played When the Saints Go Marching In. Harry Belafonte sang Turn the World Around, which he had debuted on the Muppet Show years earlier. Big Bird sang as well. Oh, It's Not Easy Being Green. He borrowed Kermit's song. And many of the show's voice actors sang a medley of Henson's favorite songs in their character voices.
0: Aww. That's a funeral
1: I want (laughs) to be. I want to have that. Uh, Life Magazine described the funeral as, quote, an epic and almost unbearably moving event. Such an eloquent, eloquent way to put that. Uh, Posthumously, he was selected to be one of Disney's legends in 2011, and both he and Kermit were posthumously inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1991. Well, I guess Kermit's still alive, but and he's one of the only ones that has like his character and the character's creators on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Jim Henson's legacy continues today, because the Henson Company is still an active production company. They have a lot of kids' cartoons out. I recognize none of these, but I'm sure you will. <laughs> There's Dinosaur Train. Yep. Doozers. Dinosaur Train!
0: Doozers, which is taped off as, ta- as a cartoon version of the Doozers from... Fraggle. Fraggle Rock.
1: Dot. Hi, Opie. Fraggle Rock looks like it's still going. It's listed in their active production.
0: Mm, on the website. That I know of.
1: Mm. Uh, there's a Julie Andrews project called Julie's Green Room. I know. I loved it. Kids did not like it, so I haven't watched that many mm-hmm. of it. It's on Netflix. Ooh, I'll have to look into that. Uh, Sid the Science Kid, Splash and Bubbles, World, and Word Party. I, I, <laughs>
0: Word Party? I don't work on it. Splash Splash and Bubbles, I do know. It's like a um, Finding Nemo type of... Hmm. Yes. With, like, thing, uh, in between their stories, they have kids talk about, like, sea life and oh. environmental things.
1: Hmm. There you go. Uh, they've also recently worked on the movie Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I haven't seen, but apparently it's a thing. And the Happy Time Murders. With, um, uh, what's her face? Well, yes, exactly. I got really high and tried to watch it, and I fell asleep pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, though they don't own the property anymore, there was a recent um, revival, like we said, of The Muppets, uh, the 30-minute sitcom, that revised the kind of concept of The Muppet Show. But now it was a TV show rather than a in-theater yeah. variety hour. And there have been a couple of Muppet movies more recently that have been spearheaded by Jason Siegel of How I Met Your Mother and Forgetting Sarah Marshall, which also had a Muppet connection. Because at the end, he was putting together a rock opera with the vampire. Yeah. So, uh, in conclusion, Jem Henson is the shit. He's responsible for some of the best and some of the worst memories of my childhood, but I would not change anything about it.
0: I love... (laughs) Like, I love watching... I still love watching Sesame Street. I love watching... Like... I could, they still have one, two, three, four, five, six,
1: seven, yep. eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Do 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 do. Boo! Well, there's like, and there's the count, right? Like every so often, I'll like joke about something math related, like one. Elmo. The letter of the day is Elmo's great. Elmo was a later edition. He wasn't part of the original Sesame Street cast. But Elmo's world's kind of annoying. Snuffleupagus always seemed to me like he had some sort of clinical depression happening and needed help, but Big Bird was always there for him regardless. Because he was originally supposed to be Big Bird's imaginary friend. Oh. Yeah. No one was supposed to see him. He was only supposed to come around when Big Bird was by himself. I can see the comedy in that because it's a giant Snuffleupagus. Yeah. My favorite Wellington every so often when he gets looks extra furry and sad, I'm like, "Oh, my little snuffling (laughs) piggies
0: My favorite
1: uh, Sesame Street character as a kid was
0: Barkley the dog. Mm. Apparently, every time he would come on TV, my mom would go, "Barkley's on," and I would come tearing like Maggie or Welly when I come into the house. And, like, just take out, like, my limbs would be flying and I'd just be, take take anything out in my, yeah. like, way. And I'd
1: just be like, do, 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 do It's true. And Ralph was one of my favorite. Yeah. Because he's got that kind of real-world cynicism look and feel and worldview that I love. Yeah. I loved Barclay of the Child. Oh, they're just so good. And every so often they come out with stuff out of the blue. Like, they did Bohemian Rhapsody with the Muppets. Um, I remember I was... Early days of, like, YouTube, I, like, fell down a rabbit hole of watching, like, the special guests. Victor Borga, I don't know if you remember him. He was a pianist slash comedian. Yes. He was on there. He did great. A couple of great pieces with him where he was playing and joking around. Kids, if you do not know Victor Borga, like, he's passed away now, but comedic genius. Uh, We still reference
0: the rebel yell. The rebel L. Oh. (laughs) Like the... um... Yep.
1: Billy Idol. Um, Yes. And the one thing that pisses me off about Sesame Street is that they introduced me to the Beatles and I didn't get to experience the Beatles independently because of the letter B. (laughs) So now, like, I have the Beatles, like, number one hits on my phone. And when it starts playing Let Her Be, I cannot help but sing it as the Let Let Her Her Be. Be. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. I know, but it makes me, like, because I love the Beatles, and I would have liked to have had the Beatles experience before I had the Sesame Street sees the Beatles experience, you know? Yeah. But I'll give it to them. They do
0: good work. (laughs) Yeah. It's still fun. It's still fun to watch occasionally. Like, they get some really great um, cameos. They do a lot of. Broadway, too.
1: Yes. Um, The letter Q was a Muppet thing. Avenue Q. Avenue Q. Fuck. Yeah. That was for adults, but... Well, yeah. But still, Muppet.
0: We're all a little bit racist. (laughs) (laughs) I will make mine one short, then. So, I fell down this rabbit hole last month when my mom was visiting, and I was reading one of those articles that pop up on Facebook you know, like they're almost clickbaity. Yeah, this one was about the cost of TV and movie houses in real life. So those famous houses that are used are those external shots.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and what those because they're real houses, they're just used for the yeah. establishing shots, right? Um, so those real houses that's used used for outside before cutting away to the inside that are filmed on lots in California. These exteriors have become famous, but often TV or movie insides look nothing like that actual house, right? Like the Brady Bunch. Yes, which actually is where we're going with. Shit, this in the sorry, air. that's fine. <laughs> uh, now I couldn't find that article um, that started this because I forgot to flag it, and when I sort of fell down the rabbit hole much later, right? Um, I had totally, but don't worry. There's a shitload of articles <laughs> that come out when you type in what these houses actually cost. Right. So, some of these houses have sold recently. Oh. So, we are going to play a little bit of a game before we talk about the Brady Bunch house, which is why I fell down this rabbit hole. Okay. So, I'm going to describe, I'm going to tell you the show or movie, describe the real house and location, and you have to guess the value.
1: Damn. Okay. So, are you ready? As ready as I'm ever going to be.
0: So, Carrie Bradshaw's apartment from Sex and the City. Okay. Location, 64 Perry Street, New York, New York. Okay. So, the iconic brownstone was the home for Carrie Bradshaw for six seasons and two movies. In the show, the apartment included a small but useful kitchen, a giant closet by New York City standards, a living room slash bedroom space that wasn't entirely separate, and a bathroom with two entrances. In real life, the property has three floors, so it's like one actual house. It's not divided in real life. It has a long list of amenities, and it's 4,104 square foot space. So, not subdivided into apartments. Okay. The entry hall leads onto the parlor floor, which has a large living room with a fireplace, a formal dining room, and a butler's pantry that leads below to the kitchen on the garden floor. The master bathroom has a walk-in closet... And a detached study. The house has two more bedroom suites, a fourth bedroom that is much smaller, and another bathroom with a pent, and a penthouse with a terrace. Dang, yo. Can you guess how much this costs in New York? 4.6 million. Tell me hot or colder. Oh, you a cold. Fuck, really? 14.6. $14 million. Oh, boy. So you're going much closer on that second one. Oof. It sold in 2013 for $13.25 million in what an agent called a poor market.
1: (laughs) I wish. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure part of the value of that is being able to say, this is the Carrie Bradshaw apartment building. But
0: more, it's a 4,000 square foot house that in too. New
1: York. That too. This sucker's only 1,700. Yeah. So, t- t- three of these?
0: Two of these? So,
1: like, it's just, it's a really big space yeah. for, like, that's the size of... Two of these houses. Yeah, yeah, uh, In New York. You're right. It's bonkers. People with more money than cents. Yeah.
0: The Father of the Bride Home. Yeah. Do you remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, location is 843 South Ilmano Avenue, Pasadena, California. So I have a soft spot for this movie and it's idyllic white clapboard house. This is the type of house that you are born in, grow up in and get married in. In the real life, the house has eight bedrooms, five bathrooms, and it's 4,339 square, 100 square feet. Sorry, it's 4,339 square feet. So guess its value, but it's in Pasadena. So. Pasadena, four point six
1: million, Ooh, close three, three oh, million, okay, three, three so million. over, yeah, yeah, but still, but it is like. The iconic American house, right? Like,
0: white picket fence,
1: basketball hoop in the. Actually, driveway. the basketball hoop wasn't in that house, it was in another house's driveway.
0: Okay. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> but you can see there being a basketball yeah. hoop
0: there. But, like, yes, that is like the. The rose
1: bushes out front, yes. the shutters. Do you remember the storm was? They
0: had to, like, thaw out the rose bushes right. for the wedding, Bronze. <laughs> <The fons>. Yeah. <laughs> and his assistant Holmes? Yes. I love that movie. The Full House House. Okay. So, yes, I have tailored this list of movies and shows to things that we would have watched and enjoyed. Okay, good. So, it's right in our wheelhouse. Yeah. So, the location is set one- 1709 Broderick Street in San Francisco, California. In, so, in most, for most, money, let's face it, most 90s kids slash teens can close their eyes and picture the Tanner's quintessential San Fran home. Mm-hmm. In real life, the 1883 3,728 square foot home has been renovated on the inside, and apparently, it's stunning.
1: The Did house has- renovated to look like the Woolhouse house set. No, oh, just- they lost such an opportunity there.
0: Uh, it has four bedrooms, three and a half bathrooms, two living rooms, a wet bar, and a laundry room. Interior designs. Details include high ceilings, skylights, custom cabinetry, Viking appliances, and a beautiful design touches from Richard Lindley. There's also a English garden, additional storage space, and garage parking. So,
1: but is there still a basement suite for Uncle Joey?
0: I don't know. <laughs> Can you guess the value? Four point six million. Six million. Oh, so <laughs> are you enjoying this game? I am. So, uh, there's two more. There's a few more added, but I thought this would probably get boring for the listeners.
1: Uh, but now I have the full house theme stuck in my head, so I blame you. But continue. The Sabrina the Teenage Witch House. I don't remember the establishing shots for that. I remember the porch.
0: So before Netflix made emo, satanic Sabrina, us 90s kids had the lighthearted, funny Sabrina. Good old Melissa Joan Hart. Yep. Yeah. When happy teen Sabrina lived with her 400-year-old aunts and a talking cat named Salem, who used to be human but tried to take over the world, so they
1: turned him into a cat, and that's about as dark as it got. I mean, completely reasonable. Of course. Sorry, I'm now Google image searching for the house because I don't remember. But continue, I'm listening.
0: The real Spellman Manor is a Victorian house on East Main Street in Freehold, New Jersey. That's just a few streets away from Bruce Springsteen's childhood home, and actually, just a few streets away from the um, school that they used for the establishing shots, yeah, for her high school in the sh- in the show. Okay. The stunning home was converted into office space at one time and was filled with a law firm and a chiropractor's office. Mm. Now I don't know if this is still an office space or it's converted back into a home. So let's say it's still a set of offices. What do you think of that beautiful? Like that's a gorgeous house. Yeah.
1: Uh, Jersey, you said? Yeah. I feel like 4.6 million is a bit high. S- Come down, what? down, down. 1.2. 600,000. Dang, yo, you yeah. and I could get that money together. I know. That's <laughs> cheaper than the house I'm building. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and my last one, and I l- saved the most
1: iconic house for last. Can I guess which one it is? Yes, go ahead. Is it the McAllister home from home? It is the McAllister home. (laughs) I have a rant about this, but I'll let you do your bit and then I'll do my rant.
0: (laughs) So location, 671 Lincoln Avenue in Wichita, Illinois. The older we get, The more we ask ourselves, what did Kevin's dad do for a living? This is my
1: rant. Because he would have bought that house in the height of the interest bubble of the 80s. When you, like, were paying, like, 13 to 18% on a mortgage. For context, I pay 2.94% right now.
0: What? Even my construction. Like, construction mortgages, they're a really high interest rate. But the thing is, you really don't pay that much interest because...
1: It flips over to a yeah. regular mortgage when the house is done.
0: And so you're only paying interest on the sections you're taking out at a time, right. and you just pay that interest off from your next draw. So basically, okay. you're paying the interest oh, okay. off from the money that right. you're taking out. Anyways,
1: that feels shell game, but okay. It is a shell game, but
0: like <laughs> the interest on that is 8%. Yeah, versus the
1: 13 to 19 yeah. bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to fly nine people to Paris at the holiday season.
0: And Christmas in Paris, that mansion. Oh, the questions... Right,
1: like fuck, like cocaine. It was the eighties. I'm gonna say it's cocaine. <laughs> Kevin's dad was cocaine running it, and ludes. <laughs> he branched out at one point. That's how we afforded the Paris trip. Cocaine bought the house. Cocaine and ludes bought the Paris trip.
0: <laughs> I can't understand how people do cocaine. No, I don't like my nose spray that I have to take.
1: <laughs> I don't like being that high energy. That's that is my
0: true. Thing. So, this gorgeous brick home has five bedrooms and four baths. It is 4,243 square feet of space. It is on a tree-lined street outside
1: of Chicago that looks just friendly in the snow. Mm-hmm. Except for the robbers in their rape van driving yes. around. I remember that this went up for sale a couple of years yeah. ago,
0: and there was a lot of hype uh, how, about how you could own the Home Alone house. Yeah. And, like, the realtor on Zillow wrote, like, the funniest, like, you know, quintessential charm, great for Christmas parties and pranks. Yeah. Beautiful front door that's great for burning
1: burglar's hands.
0: Like, racist
1: lawn jockey in the front drive.
0: <laughs> so, how do you, what do you think that house is worth?
1: I I remember it coming on the market. I think it was over a million, 1.2. 1.4? 1. 1. 1.7.
0: Damn. 1.725.
1: I wonder how far outside of Chicago that is. It's like a suburb of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Kevin McAllister's father, cocaine and lutes. <laughs> Rewatch the movie with that in mind and tell me what next you think. Next time I will... Next yeah. <laughs> Christmas I will watch
0: that. So what spawned me to go down a whole rabbit hole? So the original one uh, article that I was looking at brought up how... HDTV had bought the Brady house yes for 1.7 something or 1.3 million over the asking price so they paid Jesus. like 3 million dollars for this house it's because they got into a bidding war with
1: Lance Bass right
0: i found that out later okay <laughs> but as i was going to say because apparently they got into a... but what their whole plan was uh-huh somebody at HDTV saw this came up for sale and went you know what let's do a special yeah so they decided To do a very Brady renovation show. (laughs) I didn't even have to write this up. (laughs) No.
1: It just sticks in the mind. Because it
0: just sticks in the mind. So mom and I, because I was saw this when my mom was home, and I was like, hey, did you know that, like, HGTV bought the Brady house? Right. Not the actual, like, just the external shots, the house that was used for it. For one point, like, how much money do you have to do that? So then I was reading, I was like, why would they do that? So then I went further down this rabbit hole and I was like, oh, they're doing like a special on renovating this house to make it look exactly like the inside. Right.
1: Just brown and orange everything. Yes. And wood paneling everywhere.
0: Yes. So then flash forward, I don't know if it was a full week later, my mom and I are sitting downstairs after the kids go to bed looking through the channels and what's on? The <laughs> first episode of the very Brady renovation. So okay. I was like, all right, let's turn this on. I don't think except for like maybe seeing one of the movies or maybe like an episode or two in syndication, I've ever really watched the Brady bunch. Really? Oh, it was a big syndicated Oh no watch doubt me. I I No for me, uh, like I watched it. But like it didn't really hit on my mom either. Right. She would have been in that sort of like Late teens when it was on, right? So we watched a bit of it, and I was just like, "How much money are they throwing at this?" Because Too much. They had all of their stars, like the HGTV stars, yeah. like the Property Brothers, and a bunch of other people. They had all of the surviving children. So they had I all, think all six. Are there? Yeah, all six. Um, so they had Mars, Marsha, 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 Marsha,
1: Greg is the oldest. Peter. I want to say Paul, but I feel that's wrong. I don't think it's Paul. Bobby?
0: Yeah. Maybe. Bobby?
1: Greg, Peter, and Bobby. Yeah, they didn't have, like, Cousin Oliver or anything. Right, because he was a last-ditch effort to make the show cute again, because Greg was becoming a creepy hit-on-Florence-Henderson teenager, so...
0: So they, the whole premise of this show is to renovate the inside and ex- outside of this house to be an exact replica of the TV house. Okay. To the point where they had to put on much of a second story because the right inside of the house wasn't that big.
1: Well, yeah, like even the establishing shots make it very clear like the original show that it's a ranch sprawler. Yeah. But there's that giant, iconic staircase that goes up, and it's not a short staircase; it is a size well, I guess staircase. Even
0: the real show had like a, a upper floor because the first episode, all they did was do the 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 outside and the living room. Okay, living room, dining room area with the stairs.
1: Did they like shoot in the house?
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. No, not like they replicated the house to look like the set. Oh, okay, Right?
1: So they bought this house. Yeah,
0: they. The whole intention is, over this six or eight episodes, is they are going to renovate the inside and put all of the furniture so it's an exact replica of the studio house.
1: Which, like, no one wants. (laughs) So they are
0: going through the whole... And they're, you know, of course, it's, like, reality TV, so they've got to make it more dramatic than it needs to be. And they're trying to... So they've got, like, stills of the house. And at one point, they've got the guy who was, I think, the oldest... Greg, Greg, or maybe the middle. Anyways, one of the boys is like taking off light fixtures outside, trying to find the original paint color so they can match to the original. Not just any old shade of beigey pink; it has to be that perfect one because people will notice.
1: People won't fucking notice. The Brady Bunch only lasted three seasons, but it ran in syndication so much that I think some people would notice.
0: No, but I mean, like, if you're not the exact right shade of beige, no one's gonna be like, it's. Not the exact right shade of beige. Because he was looking at two shades of beige that were so similar.
1: <laughs> oh, boy.
0: Then at one point, they're... So they've got, you know, that rock wall when you come in the door. Yeah. So they have projected using, like, an old school... S- yeah.
1: Swan-necked projector? Yeah. Oh, boy.
0: So, the picture, they had blown up just a picture of the wall, and then they were, like, marking out on the wall the different shapes of the rock, so they
1: would be... This feels like a really bad episode of Trading Spaces, and Hilda St. Thomas should be involved.
0: (laughs) Hildy. Hildy. (laughs) Yeah, oh, Hildy. (laughs) So, they're tracing out so they can make sure that the stones are the exact same pattern. All right. White people. (laughs) To the point where, at some point before, like releasing this, obviously because the the house is all done, they actually put out a call to HGTV watchers because they were missing because they went back to the universe. I think it's Universal. um, Lots. And dug through the storage bins and stuff trying to find bits from the original set. Yeah. They did find a few things and they found some like replicas, but they were looking for specific things. So they actually put a call out to to, to viewers of HGTV. If you have this curio cabinet in your possession, (laughs) let us know. I don't know if they got these as donations because people right. are like filming themselves going, oh my god, I have the curio cabinet you're looking for. <laughs> it was like my grandmother's. And they're so excited that it's going to be in the Brady house. Right. And I remember watching the Brady show as growing up and going, oh my god, we have the same curio cabinet.
1: Oh boy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the eye roll, but I think you it guys can severe. hear it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So anyways, after we only watched the first one, because we're like, this is the stupidest thing I right. have ever seen. And I mean, they did a pretty good... Like, it looks identical. Yeah. So they did the outside, they cut down a tree, they did the whole, like, green shutters, and then they did the, of course, the reveal. So they sent... So each of the kids was involved with something. Okay. something, like the guy was doing the outside color. Okay. Um, they had found... So I guess the one thing that was in every single episode was this horse statue.
1: Yeah, the bronze. Yeah. That stood underneath the stairs, right? Yeah, on the, like... Hutch yeah. thing.
0: So they were trying... So they had... One of the two... So the two property brothers were competing to see who could find the best... <laughs> bronze horse statue? Yeah, the best replica. So one found an... Er- the one that was used in at least one of the episodes, but it was missing legs. Okay. The other guy found... Um, a wooden one, but it was the wrong color. So because it's reality TV, yeah, they this must was make... really set up and fake. So one of the boys from the Brady Bunch now does like 3D imaging for movies. So they put the two horses. They did a 3D cop like image of it, and then they basically printed it out <laughs> of okay. a, a 3D printer. Okay. So they got the perfect horse. Okay.
1: Manufactured drama. Can I just say, like, the world is burning. Literally, our world is on fire. We have a decade to make serious changes to how we treat our planet. And they are wasting all of these resources on the most useful. Like, there's no resale value in this house. Because I think they put AstroTurf in the back. Yeah. Like, where is it? Palm Springs? like, I don't remember. But, like... No one wants to live in a brown and orange house. It's why we stopped painting our houses orange and brown. So all this time, money, and resources. Let alone the shag carpeting that I'm sure they had. Like,
0: literally, I think they had AstroTurf
1: in the backyard. Does not surprise me.
0: Because the show would have had AstroTurf in the, you know, fake backyard in a warehouse
1: somewhere. We need to stop wasting our time and resources on projects like this. Because what you get nine episodes out of it, it plays... Maybe again at Christmas when they're looking for uh, marathons to run. So and then wait, what? we'll get there. Nope. So it has some of the best numbers that I'm HGTV not, not has
0: ever put out, especially their first episode. I don't know
1: if it sort of like dipped down and then the people remembered how terrible the house looked in modern context. Yeah. So it just f-
0: did its grand finale, so if we right. wanted to so look at how the house looks, because the 70s was such a high point and... Yeah. Having bought a 70s house and renovated <laughs> it, I don't know why you would
1: put that back. But I anyway. still have one of the benches from our dinette set from when I was growing up that is orange and brown twill upholstery on it.
0: Nice. Yeah,
1: It's in the basement.
0: <laughs> so... And uh, so so it was so well received. Yeah. That they're planning on doing a Christmas special.
1: Oh boy. And after that, a Hawaii special, probably. Like what's a Christmas they're going to decorate the house like they did for the Christmas special. I episodes? guess so. Cuz it's not like any of these people are doing anything. You're right. The the one that had the most prominent career after as a grown-up was the one who was married to the first winner of America's Next Top Model. And he was famous for it because it was a train wreck of a relationship. And they took it on VH1 as their own reality show. Then I went to the um, marriage counseling show, marriage boot camp. Like, they did the tour of the VH1 reality shows with it and then finally broke up. Was Tiger involved? Tiger the dog? No. When Ollie wasn't cute enough, they brought in a dog (laughs) to try to up the cute factor. (laughs) No. That show only lasted three seasons. Really? I'm pretty oh sure it's reasons. only three. It's a shockingly low number for the cultural impact that it had. But it's because they ran it in syndication. It's like um, say by the Bell. Also not a tremendous number of seasons, but it ran in syndication for ages and ages. So same as Scooby-Doo. <sighs> There's something else I was going to say. So, oh,
0: yeah. So I was reading, so I stumbled upon two articles. Okay. One on top of each other on my Google search. <laughs> One was from Forbes and one was from another, and I was—I'll I'll send it to you in the show notes. One was the title was um, a very Brady renovation uh, miss, not miss. One was very a very Brady renovation nostalgia missing the mark, and the <laughs> other one was the polar opposite about yeah. how amazing it was. Yeah. So they were published a day after each other. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And one was all about how it missed the mark, because when I read the Forbes one, I was laughing, because it was like, you know, they're doing all these cutesy things, but it didn't have any interviews with what they were doing after the Brady Bunch, which is what, like, this person would have liked to see. And I'm like, but you're watching it on HGTV. Yeah. You're not watching it on VH1 behind the scenes. Yeah.
1: Also, spoiler alert, they did nothing. <laughs> Sorry. Like... <laughs> I think
0: a couple of them have had a, like, backstage career. Yes. But, you know... And then the other one is like Hall Hall. It was Hall Hall. How, 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 how it was all nostalgia and bringing back like how amazing this you know that time was. And no. I'm just like, no, it was not. That's some ugly furniture then, and it's ugly furniture now. Yeah,
1: wood paneling does not need to exist at all.
0: Like they were like it's so manufactured, and I get it's. I'm not saying that. All of this shit has to be real, but they found one of the few things they found from the original sets was this vase that had holes in it. And the, they had this one gag where they, they under the table flicked a button and like water came out of it. Okay. It was only used for one gag, but they almost cried over mm. finding this original vase. Oh my god, I remember this. No, you
1: don't. I'm like, no you don't. <laughs> yeah i think they've tied in hgtv with a bunch of other networks because the pioneer woman on the food network on instagram was like doing like 70s recipes and i'm like lady no one needs a sour or like a cream cheese and olive of in white bread loaf like we or need to leave a lot the of 70s- stuff in jello <laughs> yeah we need to leave the 70s where they were which is in the past so fun times yeah, the years was longer than mine. it was. Uh, they're going to marathon the shit out of that. Oh yeah, Christmas time and premiere it around that Christmas special yeah, yeah. That they're going to do.
0: It's yeah, they're going to pull a, a Doctor Who yeah Doctor Who day with like yeah. the new Christmas special. Yeah,
1: oh my God, we need to stop wasting time and resources on efforts like this. It's transient, right? It's it's six or nine episodes of a TV show that in three years people are going to be like, yeah, I think I remember they did that. And the next stage is, okay, so we did the Brady Bunch uh, house. Up next, uh, Monica and Rachel's apartment. Is Which this also, the right shade of purple? I, just.
0: Also, that is
1: worth a startling amount of money, yes. too. Well, yeah. A cook and a waitress can never have afforded that, even with rent control. But that apartment is worth, if you bought it, it's like $3 million or yeah. something. But, like, I can see this being the start of a trend. Like, Outlander style, mark me. Like, this is it. Like, they did the Brady Bunch. Next, it's going to be this house or that movie or, like, it's, they're going to do it.
0: Well, the, so the house from the establishing shots for Full House mm-hmm. sold not that long ago, I think a couple of years ago. And the couple
1: who bought it painted it back to its, like, the same full house color. color. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well, I mean, that's, it- that color never stood out. It fit in nicely with the other yeah. houses on that row. So, like... But I, I can see the next time one of these, like, iconic establishing houses sh- comes up on the market, they're going to be all over it. Yeah. And they're going to overpay for it and sink too much time and too many resources into it. It's so, like
0: they did a whole thing where ha- they had Mar... The the actress who played Marcia. Um, they were like, oh, uh, so we had to redo the stairs. Is it more important that the stairs are at the right angle Or that the stairs have the right amount of stairs Like the number of stairs They spent a lot of emotional energy On trying to figure out what was more important I think in the end They ended up
1: Well number of stairs right I think so Because like, you had to have everybody line up on it Right So I hate this world I hate it Burn it to the ground <laughs> Save the capybaras but burn it to the ground.
0: <laughs> it's just like one of these, like, how is, why is this a thing? And then as it's, I had it written down. So I had like notes and I was going to do with Columbine. I was going to do, what did I do two weeks ago? Not the Amazon, but the other one. Oh, the morality officer. I had that on my list for a while. And then I was like, maybe I'll do this. And then that list came up. And then a few days later, we watched the show and I was like, oh God. And then I had found these two dueling opinion pieces opinion pieces and i was like yeah no we, we need <laughs> Here to is. do this and it's a great palette cleanser yes because when i was like i don't know what i'm gonna do because i want to do something light maybe i'll do florida man i was like a very brady renovation how did i forget <laughs> about a very brady <laughs> renovation
1: of course perfect well, that's our episode for this week, uh, and this is really late, and Elise is going to like... <laughs> like, I'm. my eyes are at half mass, and they feel puffy now, because, like, like, I took my sleeping pills at, like, 5.30, and it, they usually kick her in around 9, and I'm out for it, and it's like <laughs> quarter to 11, <laughs> and I'm, like, dying. I'm pretty sure my eyeliner and mascara are down around my nose at this point. Okay.
0: So we're going to wrap this up quickly, kids.
1: (laughs) Yes. So I can kick Andy out. Uh, So if you would like to know more about the show, head over to our website, which is www.rabbitholespodcast.com. While you're there, you can check out the episode tab to get our show notes. You can check out the merch tab to get the link to our Redbubble store and the support tab for our Patreon page. Come on board as a patron and you'll get access to the cool, not-so-secret, secret part of the website. Uh what else? Oh, if you would like to tell us about a rabbit hole that you enjoy falling down or that you would like us to fall down on your behalf, you can always email us at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com.
0: You can also find us on social media. We are on Twitter at rabbitholespod, Facebook, Rabbit Holes Podcast page, Instagram at rabbitholespodcast. You can also rate or give us a review on iTunes or wherever you find this podcast. You can also give us as a recommendation to your friends and loved ones in their time of need. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: that's all I got. We're this apparently week. good to listen to when packing. I okay. enjoy listening to us while driving to work.
0: I am so behind because I was off for that length of time. I'm like, yeah. I've got 30 episodes backlogged of my various shows. Yeah. yeah.
1: I had that problem over the summer. I'm now yep. caught up. Yeah. So in order for me to be able to kick out Andy so I can go to bed. And I still have to drive an hour and a half home. That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, you work.